No, yes. I don't know. Trust me. No, I, I, I don't. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Writing in Real Life, a podcast about writing, publishing, parenthood, and marriage. I'm Barry Liga. With me is Morgan Baden, my wife and my co-host. And uh, a few other things. A few hopefully. other baby mama. Yeah, that's sure. a big one. Yeah, yeah, that, that yeah. is a big one. Muse. Uh, no, Muse. No, no, sir. <laughs> well, you know, we, we've got this book that uh, that's true. my agent is now reading. That, as that's we speak, that's the probably. update. As we speak, she's probably reading it. And uh, you certainly inspired that book. So Muse is a fair title. I was I was going to say early editor, oh, that's fair. <laughs> early reader, early editor. But uh, no, you you want to go old school Greek mythology? That's that's fine. <laughs> You'll get no complaints from me. So last week, you said that you liked being married. You loved being married, and we had a little discussion about marriage and yeah. and how great it is. But also at the same time. You know, why do people think it's so special? Why do people make such a big deal out of it? And then this week, something fairly interesting happened with regards to marriage in and this just country. Just kind of a big deal. Just kind a of a big bit. deal. With, well, that, but that's what I want to talk about. Yeah. You know, now the Supreme Court has declared that gay marriage is just plain old marriage, yeah. which is great. We, we both are fine with that. We've both been fine with that for a long time. But it did make me start to think, what is the big deal about marriage? Uh-huh. And everybody was talking about it. And your sister, your twin sister, tweeted something okay. today. She tweeted, quote, no union is more profound than marriage, unquote. Taking a break from celebrating to say hashtag barf. Yeah. And so, uh, and I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, because... I feel like, you know, last week we sort of came to the conclusion that marriage should only mean something to the people who are married. Yeah. It shouldn't really mean something to anybody else. And yet, obviously, the gay community has invested a lot in the idea of marriage because it was something denied to them. Well, and also because in the United States, I believe there are about a thousand, that's the the number I saw, um, differences between a civil union and a marriage. Sure, yeah. sure. I was so, going to bring that up. Sure, yeah. there are definite, there are benefits uh-huh. to marriage that that certainly make it special, not in the touchy feely emotional right. sense, but, but in, in, the, legal but in sense. the legal sense. Yeah. yeah, but it was interesting because I was just thinking about you know during the civil rights movement when, for example, famously black folks couldn't eat at the lunch counter, uh-huh. for example. Um, you know, there's. Nothing, you know, nobody would say no meal is more profound than that eaten at the lunch counter. No, Nobody was saying, you know, we should be able to eat at the lunch counter because it's the best food in the world. No, it's the principle of the thing. And it doesn't matter if the lunch counter is special or not. What matters is everybody should get to eat there. And similarly, I don't know if it matters if marriage is special or profound. What matters is that if one couple, if one couple can do it, every couple should be able to do it. In Kennedy's statement, he starts off with that. Um, thing that Kelly tweeted. Well, can you read it again? Sure. No union is more profound than marriage. Right. And then he goes on in very, um, very, uh, oh, ephemeral, flowery, yeah, poetic detail. Yeah, very about purple the, language. Yeah. About, His wife must be very happy. <laughs> first, uh, the first I saw of it was Rebecca Tracer tweeting, um, about it and saying something like, you know, thanks for pointing out the, the weird sort of single bashing that's going on in this in this statement here. It's sort here. of passive aggressive single it bashing. Is, it's like this it sort is. of gee, if you're not married, you're really missing out. Yeah, and I, I did read that that statement as a like, it, I, I was taken aback by it because yeah. I thought, oh, okay, calm. Everyone settle down. <laughs> Simmer <laughs> down now. Um, I, yeah, you're, again, you're not special because you're married. Right. 
you and I, Barry, are not special because we're married. I, say, I, I do, you know, as someone who was single for a very long time and loved being single and I, I, I mourn my singlehood in a, in a, in an abstract way. I remember the funeral you held for. Yes, it. yes, yes. Um, but I, th- I think the, the country is really run on, like single people do a lot for this country. Oh, sure. Single people are the ones who are volunteering more, who are doing a lot more sort of community service activities, who are babysitting for free, who are wonderful aunts and uncles. And so it's just weird to me. Like, I actually think single, I think this country is set up, um, to be harder for people who are not partnered. And probably it is, it, it definitely is. And now I feel like there's this weird statement out there about how it's just, it's strange because I think, I sort of think one of the conclusions we danced around last week, yeah. but never came right out and said is that I think marriage is special when you make it that way. And I think there are so many examples of bad marriages or marriages entered into and maintained cynically and that sort of thing that to say no union is more profound than marriage to me feels like vastly simplifying the situation. I think if you were to say no union is more profound than a dedicated committed partnership partnership of marriage you know you know if but there are marriages out there quite frankly that suck you know there are people who are miserable in their marriages and and to say that there's no union more profound than that just because it has the title of marriage to it feels weird to me i also you know what my first gut reaction was when i read no union is more profound than marriage it was uh i can think of one right away and that's of parent child you love the baby more than me. I do. Great. I'm just I'm going to put that on the table. I, I, I do. knew I was going to have to get rid of her someday. <laughs> no, I'm serious. And I've heard this a lot over the years. This idea that you should love your spouse more than you love your kids versus should you love your kid more than you love your spouse. Obviously, it's not a competition. But but I'll win. But my kid always comes first. Wow. Is that okay to say in public? <laughs> <laughs> Only you can decide. Only you can decide. You know, I, it's like, it's interesting. I have I have heard you know arguments both ways. Uh, me too. And and to be honest with you, I just try not to think about it. Well, that's <laughs> we, that's actually a really good point. Like it shouldn't be something that I, is even in your head I as mean, a thing to worry with, about. With any with any luck, you and I will never be in the situation where it matters. Right. Right. <laughs> you know. Well, with any luck, so I just try work, not. Right? I just try not to think about it. Yeah. It's know? just one of those things that. Um, I don't know. I did read that and not even in the, in a competitive way, but like, I do believe that the bond between a, a parent and a child yeah. is I mean, the strongest bond there are differences. in the universe. There are differences though, because... Except for the bonds between twins. Oh, <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> Hashtag not Oh, <laughs> no. I really am kidding. The twin apocalypse <laughs> is upon us. <laughs> There are differences. You know, the, the parent-child bond is not a voluntary one on the part of the child. That's the child, true. The yeah. child does not consent to that yeah. bond. The mm-hmm. child has no choice. Yeah. That sort of thing. So there's a lot of arguments you of can course. make one way or the other. Again, I just try not to think about it and yeah. hope that I'm never put in a position where somebody has a gun to your head right. and a gun to Leia's head and, and says, says, pick choose. one. Of course. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, if that ever happens... Uh, you'll watch my head will spontaneously my head will no. spontaneously explode I'm, I'm giving you permission save Leia I'll never get to say because my head will spontaneously explode <laughs> anyway so there we go we we are both thrilled 
for our gay brothers and sisters who can now get married. And at the same time, it's not that big a deal. No, no. <laughs> I'm joking. No, okay. It's a huge deal, of course. Of course. Because like I said, it's the principle of the thing. Everybody should get to at the lunch counter. Marriage is great. Yay, marriage. For people who want to get married. Okay. So moving on. Since we've talked a little bit about marriage, I want to talk about the baby and babies in general. Okay. And I have sort of an existential question. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And that is, what is the default expression for a baby? <laughs> this is something I think about during the day. I, you're very fixated on this. And I want to get your read on it. Okay. You know, I spend time with the baby during the day. I don't just shove her in a closet and ignore her most of the time. So, and sometimes she will be sitting very quietly, focused on, you know, the toy in front of her or her hands or whatever. And I suddenly feel bad because she looks like she's not having a good time. She doesn't look sad or upset, but she just looks very pensive, as, as pensive as a baby can get. Yeah. And so I do something, and she looks up, and she laughs, and she <laughs> smiles. And I'm like, great, great. I made her smile. I made her happy. And then I think, but but, but maybe like she needed to be pensive in that moment. And I actually did a bad thing by distracting her from whatever was making her pensive, you know? And, and like maybe, maybe like that part of her brain that's going to have her, you know, solve homelessness was forming in that moment. And then I made her laugh and now it's gone forever. Dare I say you might be overthinking this a little bit. I'm just, I'm just wondering, like, like if a baby is, is looking pensive. Yeah. Should we think, oh, that's too bad. I'll make the baby laugh and make the baby happy or just leave the baby alone and let the baby be pensive. What would you do to an adult who's looking pensive? I probably wouldn't care because I have no emotional investment in the adult. What if it's me? You don't love me as much as you love the baby. I have no emotional (laughs) investment in you anymore. (laughs) No, but seriously, you know, every single person has their default expression. That's, that's what I'm saying. What what is, what is the baby's default expression? Well, what is our baby's default expression or what is a baby's? Well, I think they're both interesting questions. I don't think there is a, a, a general default expression yeah, for a baby. Probably not. I think Leia has two switches and one <laughs> is crazy with glee. Oh, yeah. And the other is do not mess. Oh, yeah. The do not mess look. Yeah. Is, like yeah. to me, those are her two defaults. And it's yeah. like. I'm deep in thought slash. Well, there's also, I don't want any right. There's also, we haven't seen this one for a long time, but when she was first born within 24 hours of being born, there was yes. Dubious. Yeah. The dubious dubious Leia look, the, the, you people have no clue what you're doing. Look, which I figure that's been gone for a while, but I figure it will resurface when she's like 10, 11 years old. And that's all we're going to see. Is is the you people have no clue what you're doing? Like. I do remember the first photo I posted to Facebook of her when we were at home was she was just making this amazing expression, the dubious expression, and I yeah. even captioned it dubious. And every comment on Facebook was about how much trouble you and I were in because yeah. if this is what she thinks of our parenting already. Yeah, yeah. And she, it was only like 48 hours uh-huh. in, and she already was like, "Was like these people are clueless. Like these <laughs> these people do not know what they're doing." So yeah, okay. All right. Well, thank you for indulging me. I just, <laughs> it's just one of those things where I don't know why, but I feel like when she has that sort of pensive look, I feel like, uh oh, something's wrong. I better yeah. make her laugh. Yeah. You know? And, and I don't know why I think that. Well, I, th- I wonder if part of it is like if you're sitting there and you're both just enjoying some quiet time in the same room together and she's happily playing and you're happily iPadding or something, <laughs> filming videos of her, which you do a lot, do you feel like you need to? 
check in with her and make sure that she knows you're there. I get maybe I don't know. It's just I kind of do that too with her. It's just strange. Maybe it's because I'm I'm uncomfortable with her being quiet for long stretches. Okay. I'm not used to that. Yeah, you know, I'm not used to her being being so quiet. So I think something must be wrong. Although if something's wrong, she's going to scream. So we've learned that lesson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but speaking of her being quiet, yeah, and speaking of her glee, I want to talk about something else. This okay. new age we have entered into. Oh my goodness, she is eight months old now, and we have entered into what I like to refer to as the age of the screech. Yeah. And not the Saved by the Bell kind. Not the Saved by the Bell kind. Not the guy who just got thrown in jail yeah. for stabbing that dude. Which, who didn't see that coming, by the way? Anyway, Leia sounds like a pterodactyl. She does. She does. It is insane. And and it starts at 6 a.m. It starts at 6 a.m. And it goes through the whole... Like, you're not here during the day. It goes through the whole day. Oh, trust yeah. me. And the funny thing is, I don't, know, I don't know about you, but for a while, I thought it was like a cry of annoyance or of distress or something like that. Right. And then I, I came to realize, no, no. it's, it, it's one of two things. It's either sheer glee. Uh-huh. She's just happy. So she shrieks at the top of her lungs, which in a small apartment is not <laughs> a good thing. Yesterday when I came home from work, yeah. keep in mind the windows were closed, Yep. walking down the street and came under our building and I heard a shriek and I said, that's my baby girl. <laughs> And sure enough, it was. And so, I was so proud. She, 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 she shrieks when she's ecstatic. Uh-huh. And she also shrieks just when she wants your attention. When she wants your attention. But there's a third one, which I think is ties into sort of the pensiveness of yeah. her. I think she truly is just experimenting. Yeah, I think it's just, just how loud can I be? And the funny thing was one there was one time a couple of weeks ago where she shrieked and put her hands over her ears <laughs> and kept shrieking. And it was like, stop making that noise, whoever that is. And I'm like, it's you. Stop it. Cut it out. What she's been doing now is if we're playing on the bed or on the couch or whatever, and she gets on her belly, yeah. she buries her face into the bed and shrieks into the bed. Yeah. So she, you know, can't really breathe. And she's like testing the, the muffling properties truly, of yeah. the bed. I I, I don't understand this. I have never been around a baby who just consistently all day long does this. Yeah. Like I've been around babies where they'll do it and then, you know, like once an hour. Yeah. She does it all the time. Um, please, somebody, if you have some sort of <laughs> a link to some sort of research that proves that she will grow up to be a genius, send it to us. If you have a link that indicates that this is a problem, do not send it to us because I don't need that in my life. It's just crazy. I mean, it's really, like, it's kind of funny. It's hilarious. It's not kind of funny. Well, you know, like, I'll be holding her and she'll shriek right in my ear and I'm like, I'm right here. You've got my attention. I actually feel my eardrums vibrating. Oh, yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my ears ring. I mean, oh, God. She is very loud. Anyway, babies. Babies, man. Who knew, right? Babies. Everyone knew. They're crazy. Everyone but us. Everyone but us. All right. So let's push aside this this happy stuff and let, let, let's talk the serious business of writing. Okay. So I have a question. Uh-oh. For you and for our audience, which okay. is, should authors read bad reviews? Um, of their own work. Of their own work. Yeah. Oh, you should definitely read bad reviews of other people's work because sometimes as an author, schadenfreude is the only thing that gets you through the day. 
So yes, you should always read bad reviews of other people's work. I'm asking this because uh, a little while ago, uh, one of my, one of my publishers emailed me about a book, and uh, they had sent me a nice review of this okay. book, and then and then a little while later sent an email and said, "Oh, by the way, just wondering, uh, <laughs> would, would you you know do you want to see negative reviews or not?" And I was like. Oh yeah, you're just wondering. Right, yeah. <laughs> I, I knew what this meant. Like uh-huh. a bad review had come in, and they were like, "Oh, you know, should we send this to him or not?" He's he's so fragile and delicate. He he's like a hot house orchid. And I said, "You know, I'd rather not," <laughs> because I was just having one of those days where where my ego just couldn't handle it. Okay. So I said, "I'd rather not." And then what happened was a couple, like a day later, it turns out somebody online quoted a line from this bad review. And tagged me. Oh. <laughs> tagged me. I, I, I'm sure not with malice. No. But not thinking, tagged me and quoted this this line, which I'm sure was from the review that my publisher was wondering, did I want to see? Yeah. So, of course, I ended up seeing this one sentence. And based on that one sentence, I can only imagine what the rest of the review was like. So you still haven't read the whole review? God, no. Ah. No. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need that in my head. I just yeah. don't. You know? Yeah. And you know, we talked once about um, when you're editing based on critique partners' feedback or agent feedback or editor feedback or whatever, or when you're editing editing generally, like whose voices are in your head. Sure. Right. And I mentioned that I, I was having trouble getting rid of everything the various agents have said to me about this manuscript as I edited it. Right. Right. And I guess I haven't thought of it this way before, but I guess that would be true with a review, which is like, let's say this was the first book in a series or a trilogy or whatever, and you read a review and you're going to write the second or the third and you've got those words in your head and that's going to totally play with your mind. It's not even, you know, it's not even that for me. I mean, let me pretend to be human and vulnerable for a moment. (laughs) It just depresses me. Well, yeah. You know, it's just, it's, it's just depressing. It doesn't feel good. When somebody says they didn't like what you what you did, yeah. and especially when it's snarky, yeah, which this was yeah. th- this one sentence was very snarky, and it just doesn't feel good. Yeah. And you know, it can be very difficult to face. I was going to say to face the blank page, but it, it's difficult to face any page. And when you're depressed or you're not feeling good because you just read something really nasty about your work, it's even tougher. So life, life is too short to, uh, to, to, to obsess over that stuff. Let me ask you this, though. Sure. There's been all this research that uh, when it comes to political views, for example, people mostly believe what they believe. And even when confronted with evidence to the contrary, sure. they still believe what they believe. So right. climate change, whatever. Yeah. I kind of feel like I will be one of those people when it comes to book reviews of my books yeah. of like, well, those three, three, those three reviews, for example, were, were good. And then here comes a couple of bad ones, but they're wrong. So I'm going to go back to the good ones. Like, look at those dummies over there. They're wrong. I don't care. Let me well, go back to the good ones. Yeah. You like, know, is, that, is that maybe something that would happen to you? You know, here's what happens when I, when, when I see a bad review. You either get angry okay. because clearly the person's an idiot. <laughs> and, but now their opinion is out there. And could be poisoning other people with their stupidity. Or you read it and you go, wow, what if they're right? Okay. Not that person is right, but what if they're right? Uh Because this is a subjective business. Yeah. And 
you know, in order to be a writer, you sort of have to have this towering ego that says what I produce is worth other people, not just reading, but paying money to read. They pay money for the privilege of reading it. So you have to have a big enough ego to believe that. And you have to have some sort of self-doubt to be a writer. I agree with that. You know, um, you know, my, my personal savior, Bruce Springsteen, once said that, you know, faith and doubt are the most critical components for an, for an artist of any sort. Uh, you have to have absolute faith in your artistic vision, but at the same time, doubt tempers your faith and makes it real. And I, that's how I feel. And mm-hmm. so once you've got that doubt, once you have that, that self-doubt, all sorts of things come in through that. It's like, it's like a little crack in the house that all the cockroaches and mice sneak in through, you know? Yeah. And you can plug it up as best you want, but they're already in the house. Yeah. And that just means that, that sometimes something like this can really, can really impact you. Okay. So, so anyway, you know, I, I saw this review and, and the point I was getting at was, you know, should, should we read it? Because in this case, I ended up stumbling on it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and would it have been better to have been prepared yeah. for it ahead of time? Like to read it on your own terms. To read it on my own terms yeah. rather than to be smacked in the face with it when I least expected it innocently. Yeah. Looking Reading online yeah. and, you know, and somebody tags me with this really snarky, mean line. Yeah. I don't know. I I don't know what the answer is. But is there a point where you're just like, eh, they're allowed to have their opinion? Well, you you always think they're allowed to have their opinion. It's that eh part that's hard. Okay. You know, it. I maybe it's just me. I don't know. I I am. It's not easy for me to to you know if somebody says. Hey, I didn't like that book. It's like, okay, not every book is for every reader. But when somebody decides to go into detail and... But that's their job. Sure. Yeah. Oh, sure. Sure. You know, it's but my it's not their job savior. to be snarky. That, that's the thing. Like, I, I, I think there's, there's a way of saying, I didn't like this book or I think this is a bad book. I, I think this isn't worth your money or your attention. There's a way to say that. Sure. And then there's just, there's just I'm just going to be mean because I can be. Well... And to be fair, I mean, not to be cryptic here, but that uh, review journal is known for being sure. not oh, sure. the nicest. Sure. You know? So I think you sort of have to take it for what it's worth. Of course. Of um, course. And, 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 you know, but the point of this question was not about this specific review. No, no. Because it's yeah. just an example yeah, of a yeah. case where I tried to avoid it and it chased me down. Right. And it makes me wonder... Should I even bother trying to avoid it right, yeah. in the future? So yeah. I, And I don't know what the answer is. I, you know, with the books that I've ghostwritten, I've read the reviews of them. Yeah. It's obviously a little bit different because it's not my plot necessarily. Sure. Um, but it is my writing. And I, you better believe I read all of those Goodreads reviews for, <laughs> for the first ghostwritten book that oh, I did. Oh, I stay away from the Goodreads reviews, man. <laughs> no, but I, I got a kick out of it. I enjoyed it. Um, because most of them said wonderful things like, this is the best book in the series. And I was like, heck yeah, it is. <laughs> of course it is. Really it's because good. I wrote it. No, but like, you know, and there's a part of me that's like, as my personal savior said, you know, you're never going to have a Tori Amos, you're never going to have a hundred percent of people liking you. Sure. You're not, like, I'm not vanilla ice cream. This is Tori saying that. Barry, you're not vanilla ice cream. You're oh, not. I know. I, you know, I, so I, like I, I know. I there, know. There are authors out there who are van- very, very, very much vanilla ice cream with vanilla whipped cream and a cherry on top. And that who actually, doesn't like that? That actually sounds really good. I know. Right I'm going to go make a run to the bodega. <laughs> yeah. I will be right back. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll play some <laughs> elevator music while Morgan runs out to the bodega for ice cream. <laughs> 
Okay, we're back with Sundays. Oh, <laughs> um, I wish that were true. <laughs> no, but do you know what I, I, I guess I guess maybe I'm saying to you, at some point, you don't you just have to learn the lesson that not everyone is going to love all of your work, and you have to be okay with and, that. And, and I'm saying, and I'm saying, I do know that. Yeah, I do know that. But you're not okay with it. It's or? not that I'm not okay with it. It's that it, it it it's that sometimes, depending on the circumstances, it provokes an emotional reaction. Yeah, of course. And I would just rather avoid that. Okay. Because who wants to feel depressed or angry or whatever? You know. Uh-huh. All right, listeners. Let us know. Yeah. I will say that my friend Jen from college, way back in the beginning of this podcast, sent me some sent me an email with some thoughts about reading and book reviews and yada yada. And I happen to have her quote right <gasps> there here in you front go. of me. Go ahead and read it. Where she says, I only care about reviews when it looks like the reviewer is smart. If a book has a bunch of meh reviews, but they're all half thought out and misspelled, it doesn't deter me at all. So that's obviously looking at it from another point of view. That's right. from the point of, you know, because my fear sometimes, and I realize this is a ridiculous fear, but it's a fear nonetheless, is somebody stupid is going to review the book and not get it and say bad things about it. And that will stop people from buying it and reading it. Right. And what she's saying is if, if the review was written by an idiot, I ignore it, yeah. which is great. But sometimes, of course. sometimes people yeah. don't seem like idiots when they write dumb reviews yeah so and also there's also time is an important factor yes. you know as, yes, as yes, time yes. passes i i was on a google hangout the other day and we were talking about male survivors of sexual assault and of course i wrote boy toy so that's why i was there and uh, the the guy who was asking the question said that he had come across a goodreads review that had referred to my book boy toy as milf porn and I actually remembered, because I remember seeing that review a million years ago, and actually what it had said was not MILF porn, it said it was badly written MILF porn. Uh-huh. And enough time has passed that I was able to laugh at that and say, no, 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 that book is exquisitely written MILF porn. <laughs> so as time goes by, yeah, it becomes course. a little a yeah. little less raw. Well, it's like I have email folders set up of all of the rejections uh, from agents and editors when my first book was on submission. Right. And it's like, I, they're there. At the time, I could not read them. Yeah. Um, so I just filed them away, knowing that at some point I would be far enough away to be able to read it and, right. and not be destroyed by well, it. Well, and, and that and that's why I started years ago a f- feature on my website called This Week in Rejection, yeah. where I post my old rejection yeah, letters, which is go- hilarious. going back to when I was in eighth grade. Yeah. Uh, and I do that because it, it takes the sting out, you know. And 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 it, it's just good to look back and go, wow, that really bothered me when I was fifteen, and right. now I'm like, wow, they were right. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. Um, and and similarly, you know, I, years ago I submitted a picture book to a bunch of places. Nobody wanted to publish it. I don't blame them. But I remember, you know, my agent just sent me the rejections, and one of them said uh, said something like, "We are familiar with Barry, and we love his work and his trademark wit." We wish he had brought it to this project. It's my favorite rejection ever. It's, it's just... I feel like you should get that tattooed on you. I, you know, we wish he had brought it to this project. If, if I if I were ever to get a tattoo, that would probably be it. <laughs> and, and you know, now I can laugh about it. At the time, oh, I was devastated. Of course. And I was so pissed at my agent for just forwarding that to me <laughs> with no comment. Just forward, you know. Here's another rejection. Throw another one on the fire. <laughs> And, uh, but now, I mean, yeah, it's funny as hell. Yeah. You know, you brought up something earlier, um, about this, this snarky bad review about one of your books. Yeah. Um, and, and I think you have a, I think there is a line between someone who genuinely doesn't like your book. They've read it. 
they understand it, they get it, right. and they just don't enjoy it for whatever reason. Right. Versus someone who read it and clearly missed something. Oh, sure. And then as a result, dislikes right. the book. Right. Um, and I had an experience where when I was querying um, the book that I'm editing now, uh, someone wrote, one of, an agent rejected it and said basically something along the lines of, um, you know, I'm not really into boarding school books, and this reads like <laughs> this reads like Gossip Girl, and that's that's way out of style. Wow! And I was like, I, I my first reaction was, oh my god, I think she's talking about a different book. Like yeah. that's not she's clearly talking about a completely different author who who queried her. Right. Like this is not meant for me. <laughs> she um, may have had a little cut and paste mistake. There. Yeah, and I like I I remember even showing it to you, and you were like, either she's made a mistake here, and this is for a different book, right. or yeah, she clearly did not well, get this book. And you know my my saying about such people. No. They read every word of my book, but they didn't read my book. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> there are people where yeah. where they have written reviews where I'm like, oh, they clearly they read every word I wrote. But they didn't read my book. Oh, I like that, too. They just... I don't understand how it happens. I don't know if they get distracted. I don't know if they're just bad readers. Because, you know, I would blame myself, but other people got it. So I I don't think it's me. Uh, But at some point, they go off the rails and they just... They just completely... They read something that wasn't there. And it's really weird. That is really weird when that happens. It's like reading it in a different universe. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like how Chris Christie can go enjoy Bruce Springsteen shows. Oh, don't get me started like, on Chris Christie and like, Bruce where Springsteen. Is the like he's there. met Bruce Springsteen, I know, and Bruce and Springsteen just like all but said to him, "You're a horrible person. My right. music is not about you." Right. And Christie just doesn't right. get it. So that that yeah. disconnect there is, yeah. is pretty blatant for some people. So, right. Anyway. Right. So I want to rant about something for a minute. And you're giving I me. Feel like you, I feel like you should insert some kind of rant music there when you. Probably, yeah. you're, you're giving me that look that says, <laughs> what, "When do you not rant about something?" No, this is the look that says, "Do I have time to go make a martini before you?" <laughs> <laughs> you can just leave for a, a few minutes and come back, and I'll still be going. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about um, we, we brought up tangential to another topic, the fact that Netflix can tell when you've stopped watching something mm-hmm. or when you pause or when you rewind or whatever, and that they use that information when they're creating new shows. And we talked about, God, could you imagine if they could do that with books? And I said, and I said, that's when I will burn this industry to the ground before I leave. Right. Well, I've got my gas can and my lighter <laughs> because Amazon has begun a program yeah. whereby they're going to pay authors Based on how many pages of a book mm-hmm. readers read. Now, Is it, it's not even pages, right? It's number of words? No, it's pages. Oh, it's pages. It's pages. Okay. Now, obviously, they can only do this with ebooks, and they're only doing it, it turns out, with their Kindle Unlimited program, mm-hmm. which is this opt in thing for self publishers, blah, blah, blah. So I'm not as furious as I was when I first read about this, but it is only a matter of time before Amazon starts offering this service or is more likely selling this service to publishers. No. Yes. No, yes. I don't know. Trust me. No, I, I, I don't. <laughs> oh, trust me. <laughs> I, I think, um, I think that they are doing this as an experiment. I think it's insane and stupid. Uh, I'm dying to know what happens, but I don't think this is going to become the industry model. I, I, I am waiting for the day when an editor says to me, you know, the data we have from eBooks shows that the average reader stops reading at a point where the main character says something like this after a sex scene. So you should really change your sex scene. And that is the day I will open the cap on that gas can. Sure. 
it, it it's I'm telling you, I'm telling you it's going to happen. It is inevitable. I'm not saying it's going to happen tomorrow or even five years from now, but it's going to happen. I promise you. Somebody will try to make this a thing. Uh, well, somebody trying doesn't mean it's going to be successful. I'm, I'm just I'm laying it on the table here. I disagree with you that it is going to happen for traditional publishing, as we know. Well, traditional, who knows how long traditional publishing, as we know, it's going to be around. <laughs> Anyway, I, I I think it's insane, but like I said, I'm dying to know what happens with the Amazon program. But it really is a it's crazy. Absolutely, wacky it's absolutely crazy. Yeah. Okay, there we go. I just wanted to get that off my chest. Oh, do you feel better? No. no. Then what is the point? Well, now I've put it in everybody else's head, and now so, <laughs> share and, the misery. And share the first of all, yeah, share the misery. Second of all, there's going to be some percentage of people listening who will be as angry as I am, and now I feel better because there's other people out there angry about it, and I don't feel like I'm the only one. <laughs> what? way too much insight into my how my head works huh all right so let's let's do a uh, let's do an update on how we're doing on things how are you doing on your project i am doing very well Yay! rolling along here um i'm at the point now where each chapter that i'm working on um i'm basically able to do a, a full chapter in a night that's great um I'm not working every night, but I'm, I seem to be working every other night, which is really awesome. Right. And yeah, so I'm, I'm really and, pleased with that. And, you know, I think last time we checked in, you you were at like page 120 out of 400. Yeah. Which was, which in terms of percentage of work was actually least, high, yeah, probably 50. 50%. Yeah. Where do you think you are now? Do you have a, an estimate? Well, probably 55%. 55%. It's <laughs> only <laughs> been a week there. That's Settle true. down. What, what, what about page wise though? I mean, because um, you've been blowing through chapters. Yeah, I'm almost up to 150 Okay. Probably 150. Cool. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Yeah. All right. So. I cannot wait to see this thing when it's done. I'm very excited. Yeah. I'm aiming for like to give it to you by August 1st. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Yeah. That's great. I can't wait. I'll take it on the plane with me when I'm on tour. Perfect. <laughs> How are you doing? I, I'm doing all right. I, for a while there, I, I was suffering from some serious inertia. I had a project I was working on and it just, and I just, wasn't feeling it, but lately I've, I've been feeling pretty good about it. I've been working on it, and and the other day I did like twelve hundred words. You're not going to tell anyone what it is. You know what? I will tell people what it is. Why not? Um, news. I you know, I, I did a bunch of I did three prequel short stories and a prequel novella for I Hunt Killers, and uh, they were sort of to flesh out the backstory and some characterization. I had a lot of fun writing them, and the people who've read them have really seemed to enjoy them. And uh, there was one for each of the kids, and then the novella was about the sheriff who caught Billy Dent way back when. And I always intended to write a prequel about Billy, Mm -hmm. you know, when Billy was out hunting before anybody knew who and what he was. And, uh, so that's what I've been working on. And it was supposed to be a short story. And I think it might end up being a novella. I don't know. I'm not sure. We'll see. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, it's still early days. I'm not that deep into it, but it feels like it might end up it's either going to be a really long short story yeah. or or a novella. Yeah. So I'm it's having fun with like, it. It's interesting. Like as you're talking, I'm just thinking about um, like prequels, short short stories slash novellas yeah. um, for already existing books and series and trilogies and whatnot. They're they're kind of like the deep cuts on an album, like yeah. or the B side. Like they're for the real real fans. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, and and I'm very careful to to construct them in such a way that they're entertaining and fun and interesting. Mm -hmm. But if you only read the books, you don't feel like there's pieces missing. You know, I feel like that would be unfair. Yeah, of course. 
The other thing that I've sort of been doing is I've been going through all these notes, these story notes, ideas and little snippets and stuff that, um, that I've kept over the years. And I've been going through those recently and finding things where I'm like, Oh, that's right. I meant to do a short story about a superhero who blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I'm having fun going through those and I'm going to be playing around with some of that stuff too. Nice. So that's I love cool. doing that. I, that's been on my mind for me to do as well. Yeah. Just like look at old. Yeah. Just like take a deep things. dive through yeah. the, the old stuff on the hard drive and see what's there. And yeah. you're like, Oh my God, I was so excited about that. Why didn't uh-huh. I do it? And, and yeah. And then, and then there's some things where you're like, Oh, what was I uh-huh. thinking? Of course. But then you find the really cool stuff and you're like, yeah, yeah I definitely want to do that. Yeah. So that's cool. That's cool. So what are you reading and or recommended reading? So I literally just last night stayed up late to finish um, Daughter of Deep Silence by Carrie Ryan, which is her newest YA. Yes. Um, I kind of sped through it because I really loved the plot of this. I haven't seen it before in YA. I thought it was really cool. Basically, there's a teenager named Frances, and she's traveling with her family on a cruise ship, and something terrible happens. And you start the book by uh, she's rescued. She's been adrift at sea for seven days uh, with her best friend from the ship, and her best friend just dies. Um, right before they get rescued. And, um, anyway, so you find out through flashbacks throughout the book, details about what happened like to this huge cruise ship. And then you realize the other two survivors have invented a story about what happened. And now this, this teenager, it's four years later, she's basically recreated an identity for herself because she is trying to, cause she knows that she saw what she saw and she's worried about her safety. So she's trying to take revenge on the two people who are lying about what happened on the ship and trying to figure out why are they lying? What's in it for them? And, um, and to get them to confess the truth because she feels crazy because for four years, the entire world believes that this, you know, scenario a happened when she knows it was scenario B and, oh, cool. um, so yeah, so there's a lot of sort of um, manipulation going on, and uh, yeah, so I, I was really intrigued by the plot. So cool. well done, Carrie Ryan. Cool. How about you? Well, I finally finished the book that I didn't like. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you can't see me rolling my eyes, listeners, but I did. <laughs> uh, anyway, the less said about it, the better. It's over. I, you know, honestly, I would go into a frothing rant about it, but I know that it bothers you when I'm mean to other authors <laughs> on the show, so I won't. No, it's not even that. It's just that if you're not going to name the book and right. I have know, an actual which critique I, of I'm it. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. I'm not going to yeah. do it. It's just, I regret it, and I've decided that... Uh, you have book regret. I, I do. I have serious book regret, yeah. and I've decided that from now on, if a book has not totally grabbed me by 100 pages, I'm done with it. 100, okay. 100. I just picked 100 out of nowhere. Okay. Anyway, speaking of which, yeah. I started reading I started reading The Girl with the Wrong Name, which is by Barnabas Miller. And such a great name. Barnabas. Great, well, and Barney Miller, you know, yeah, real yeah. TV shows. So yeah. That's awesome too. Wait, who? I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm just kidding. You know, it's not a show if I don't put in an age dig. So yeah, I, I just started reading it and uh, I am up to page 100 and I'm going to continue reading All right. it. So that tells you everything you need to know right there. Um, I won't say much about it or recommend it or anything until I'm actually finished it. Yeah. But but uh, it, it's got some interesting stuff going on and, and I'm enjoying it. Great. So so there you go. So that that is it for us on this rainy, rainy June day, which feels like a day in October. 
Thank you all for listening. Please, please visit us at writinginreallife.com. Follow us on Twitter at WIRL Podcast. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Rate us on iTunes. Send us email. Give us suggestions for things to talk about. Comment. All that stuff. We love to hear from you. And uh, we will talk to you all again next week. Thanks. Bye.